most people struggle with this before they ever even meet their spouse. And so he's clear internally that it isn't about her, but because it's such a personal thing, right? Sexuality, intimacy, attraction. When people get married, the contract for most people is that that is only shared between him and her. And so when she finds out that he's been looking at, texting with, talking with, whatever it is, like with somebody else, instantly there's a feeling of betrayal because now somebody came between him and her, which when, again, I, I don't know, contract sounds like super sterile and clinical, but you know, it's like the understanding is that is a sa- like a special sacred part of our relationship and it's special and sacred because it's just us two that when somebody comes between that, there is a like a deep betrayal and a violation with what she expected and then what she then finds out didn't happen. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh, and I am the co-founder of The Union Movement, um, alongside my wife, Bonnie. And our focus here, our real heart and vision is to help people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, biblically-focused uh, approach. And so we just want to welcome you here. If you're new, we just hope that this uh, conversation today is life-giving and encouraging and equipping for you. And uh, if you're a return listener, well, welcome back. We're glad you're glad you're here again. Um, and we would love it if you comment, subscribe, and just share this podcast. We just want to get this out in front of uh, many as many people as we can uh, to help more and more people discover the beautiful design that God has for all these areas. And um, we are just back from summer break. I hope you had an amazing summer. Hope you spent a lot of time at the beach and just with uh, with family and with friends and just had a great great time um before we went on uh summer break i sat down with a new friend sam telemans he is a licensed family and marriage uh therapist based out of las vegas nevada and a lot of the the work that he focuses in is helping um marriages and helping relationships recover from the damaging effects of porn use sam's been working with couples for over the last decade helping them to restore their marriage rebuild trust and improve their sexual intimacy after betrayal You can check out his website at coupleshealing.org and he has a free course for couples who are just trying to navigate um, the unpleasant, damaging effects of porn in in a marriage, in a relationship. And he is also a podcaster. You can check out his podcast called Couples Healing from Pornography Addiction. Um, Without any further ado, this is episode 64 as I sit down with Sam Tielemans. All right, I'm here with Sam Tielemans, a licensed marriage and family therapist that specializes in helping couples overcome the effect of unhealthy porn use. This is going to be a powerful conversation. Sam, thanks so much for joining us here today. Yeah, you're welcome, Brian. I'm really happy to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, happy to. Now, you're you're hailing from sunny Las Vegas. You're just telling me you hit uh, triple digits now. And in, yes. in, in Canada, we're in Celsius. So it's just like, that's like, like the surface of the sun to us. But, yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. But man, but yeah, is, I love it here. I've been here my whole life. Yeah, come on. Gotta love that. Gotta love the sunny weather. So what actually brought you to Las Vegas? How did you end up in, in Las Vegas? So my my uh, mom grew up here. Uh, okay. She grew up in Utah, but then moved here when she's like 16. And then she had been here ever since. My dad's from Canada. So they met, it was a kind of a crazy story. They met in Israel and wow. somehow they crossed paths. They kept in touch through writing letters. Eventually out to meet each other, got married, and then my dad moved from Canada to Utah. 
uh, or to Vegas to be with her. Yeah. Incredible. So, yeah. I've been here ever since. Love it. I love it. So you have a practice in Las Vegas and, uh, and you're helping couples, um, families, all this different stuff, walking through some of the trying aspects of life, but you focus specifically on, um, or you specialize specifically within, uh, the effects of porn use within a relationship. How did you end up kind of really focusing in on this, this topic? So I remember being in, I never had the intention to do this when I was going to school, uh, like leading up to my master's because to get a degree in counseling, you have to go through and get your bachelor's and master's. So I was in grad school and I still remember the day where I was sitting on this like dingy couch in our break room talking to somebody who was in my class. And he opened up and shared with me that he had been struggling since he was like 12 with pornography. And he said like he had tried literally everything that he could like under the sun, like anything that somebody suggested to him, Hey, do this group. Hey, do this type of counseling. Hey, do this thing. Like he did everything for six or seven years, could not find freedom. And I remember sitting there on the couch, listening to him. And I had the thought in my mind that said that I should learn how to treat this because I'm sure I'm going to see it a lot in the church. That was like the phrase that came to my mind. Wow. So I thought like, okay, cause this isn't something that I personally, like I've been exposed of course, and living in Vegas, like you can't get away from it. But I'd never struggled with an addiction or it was no, it was like a habit or anything compulsive. But I remember that nudge that I got that I truly do believe was a divine like nudge or push to do this. I thought like, okay, like I'm interested, like, let's see what I can learn and how I can help. And so I dove into this like world of how like there's so many pieces to this that people can just feel overwhelmed. And they tried lots of different things and they're not quite sure what to do or how to get the help and they can do well for a little bit and then fall back into it. So I became obsessed with learning all the little nuances of why people struggle and what's the best way to help them get out of it all just because of that conversation with my friend. And then hearing that little voice say like, I should learn how to do this. So ever since I've been doing this for almost 10 years now and I love it. It's, it's like such, such a cool thing to see people truly be able to heal and for them mm -hmm. to have some hope when they can understand what's driving it, why they're struggling and then get the tools that they need to get out. It's like, it's been an amazing journey and I've, I've loved being able to work with my clients, but again, it all started at just that one conversation with my friend. Wow. I love it. So you said you've been, you've been in this realm for about 10 years or so. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So I remember like in grad school, I niched down to like, there was a group of like four or five of us that said, okay, we're going to, we're going to tackle this. And my friend who was the one who was struggling, he kind of spearheaded everything because he had so much more. He knew more in grad school than the teachers did about addiction because he had been doing it for six, seven years, like oh, learning sure. everything he could. So I was like, I kind of, he became my mentor for, uh, for quite a while in the early stages of me learning. So yeah, ever since then, like in school, I just kind of shifted my attention to helping people with this issue. Wow. Now I'm sure you kind of see relationships from all different kind of demographics, right? Even lengths of relationship, like sometimes porn addiction can go on for years. And, but can you tell us maybe just really quickly, like what is, what are some of the, the same kind of patterns that you see within relationships that no matter they've been, you know, married for 30 years, five years, a year, when all this kind of comes out, what are kind of the, the same characteristics that you've noticed? Yeah. So that's, it's true. I mean, uh, I think there are some things that overlap in most people's stories. For most people, they start to struggle with addiction or the habit uh, long before they ever even meet their spouse. Mm -hmm. And the average age of exposure now is like between nine and 11. 
And so most people get exposed early. Uh, most people don't get the talk from their parents. It's kind of like, or they hadn't gotten the talk. And so they are left feeling this confusion and curiosity and disgust and shock. Like there's so many emotions. No nine-year-old can process any of what they're seeing when it comes to those type, that type of like content. And so most people are exposed when they're very, very young. Then there's an element of hiding it and secrecy. And then usually it just becomes a coping mechanism for them to distract themselves from the pain that they're in, emotional pain usually. Mm-hmm. Most people who are struggling have been through, I don't know, it's like uh, there's two types of trauma. One is like the, the, I don't know, they call it like the, the big T traumas, like yeah. the single incident, very, very impactful moments. But most people, it's little T trauma, meaning it's just kind of like neglect or abandonment or feeling unloved and unimportant. Like those things stack up over time. And porn becomes a way for them to just cope with the sense of not feeling enough, not feeling loved, not feeling included or accepted, feeling like there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It just becomes an outlet for them. And so that's like one of the most common threads that I see is just early exposure. They don't really know how to deal with their pain in a healthy way. They don't really have uh, like people in their life that they can really open up to and process what, what they're feeling. So they just kind of turn to some behavior or substance or activity. And again, when people find porn, it's, it's a very, very easy way for people to just escape and distract themselves from their pain. Yeah, totally. Totally. When, I guess just from your experience, like when sport, when porn use is discovered in a relationship, what are you kind of coach couples in to be kind of like the first steps to move towards in reconciliation and healing? The very first thing I always recommend people do just like before I start working with them, I think one of the most helpful things, like anybody who's might be listening, who might not be seeking help currently, it's like getting educated. So important because there's so much misunderstanding about pornography addiction, sexual addiction, and truly understanding what's at the core of it can help you see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Because I think in the beginning, most people think like, uh, like for many spouses, they'll think, well, okay, my husband's looking at this stuff. Does that mean I'm not enough? Does that mean I'm not satisfying mm-hmm. him? Do I need to do more things in the bedroom? Do we just need to have sex more? Uh, am I attractive enough? Like all these fears and insecurities come up, understandably so, but without understanding that when somebody struggles with a pornography addiction, it's not because they're not being satisfied in their marriage. It's, it's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's it's no different than if somebody were to turn to alcohol or I don't know like drugs or any kind of a, a another escape. Yeah, I think people can more easily understand like oh he's you know he's drinking he's 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 depressed and he drinks and that's just kind of his outlet. Porn literally is the same thing for people, but it, of course there's it feels so much more personal in a marriage than right. alcohol would be right. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing in, in the beginning is to get educated. So when I start to work with clients, that's where we start is we have to understand what's driving this for that individual. And again, usually it's a coping mechanism, but every, you know, as, as different as we all are as people, we're all made of the same stuff. Right. We all have ultimately the same fears. Like we want to be enough. We want to be loved. We want to feel worthy and have a strong self of self-esteem, want to feel connected. So when we're off in any of those areas, again, it's like, a very common area, or it's a very common reason why somebody turns to some, again, behavior or substance. So step number one is figuring out what's going on, why is this happening? And then once we're clear about that, 
then the process is to help them break through those things and to heal internally so that then the coping mechanism there's there's no it's like if you don't have a headache then you don't need to take aspirin like it doesn't serve a purpose it's the same thing with this when you can heal that part of them that feels wounded or hurt or you know inadequate whatever the thing is for them then there's no need to distract themselves because they're feeling whole they Mm -hmm. feel good so i think that's step number one is understanding that and then in terms of the relationship uh, it's so important for the wife to understand that too, because if she makes it about her in a way that isn't true, like I said, like, well, maybe I'm not enough. He's looking at these other people because I'm not enough. It's just not true. And her understanding that, and really, I know that's kind of easier said than done, right? It's easy yeah. to say that, but like it, it feels super personal. But I think a path to healing is really integrating that and then starting to rebuild the trust in the relationship. There's different, you know, there's different elements that need to be there, but those are kind of the overarching like targets that I'm shooting for when I start working with people. Well, that's so good. I I know it's probably a little bit of a generalization, but like, why do you see, because I know like we were talking about this before, like there's the largest majority of porn users are men, yet there's a growing percentage of women who are using this. But the, for the most part, it's a general kind of idea that this is like a man's issue. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I'm speaking very generalized terms, but why, what do you see as like the main reasons why men and women would view this type of behavior differently, right? Like to a man, they might just see, well, this is just something I'm struggling with. Um, but like for a wife, for example, she's going to sense a strong level of betrayal yes. that may be the husband is not going to understand. It's just like, well, no, of course I love you, but I'm just, this is just something I'm struggling with. I'm just trying to get through yet. She's feeling completely abandoned and betrayed. And I don't even know this man anymore. Like from your perspective and kind of a clinical perspective, like what do you see those, um, the reasons behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause that, that literally is exactly what happens. The husband says, honey, this isn't about you at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just struggling with this. You're enough. You're beautiful. I find you attractive. It's there's a such a big disconnect because for him internally, he knows that it isn't her shortcomings that drive him to that behavior. It's something that he's like again. Most people struggle with this before they ever even meet their spouse. And so he's clear internally that it isn't about her, but because it's such a personal thing, right? Sexuality, intimacy, attraction. When people get married, the contract for most people is that that is only shared between him and her. And so when she finds out that he's been Mm -hmm. looking at, texting with, talking with, whatever it is, like with somebody else, instantly there's a feeling of betrayal because now somebody came between him and her, which when, again, I, I don't know, contract sounds like super sterile and clinical, but you know, it's like the understanding is yeah. that is a sa- like a special sacred part of our oh. relationship and it's special and sacred because it's just us two that when somebody comes between that, there is a, like a deep betrayal and a violation with what she expected. And then what she then finds out didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it, because of just the personal nature of it, because of how that's just something that's shared between him and her. There's that, that's truly why people feel a deeper sense of betrayal than if husband were to struggle with alcohol because it doesn't, it's not as personal, right? It's just like, okay, he's struggling. Like we got to get this under control still, but it's not, it doesn't cut to the heart of like this 
unique relationship and this aspect of the relationship that really nobody else shares. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause it would make sense. Like this, this place of sexuality is, has always been designed to be in a kind of a context of allegiance to one, to one another. It's not meant to just be this kind of free flowing, you know, uh, kind of experience or, or practice. It's, it's, and even like from a biblical standpoint, you know, as a pastor, I kind of think this way, like, this is why the Bible says that the marriage bed is sacred. Yes. You know what I mean? That is, it's not, it's not just something that's supposed to be going this way and that way and invading this space. It, there is a sacred space to it. And, um, and I think it's all the more difficult, not just in the world that is kind of taking, uh, definitions and becoming very shifting, a shifting sand kind of approach to this. Um, it's even more difficult within the church when it starts to adopt that same philosophy that, you know, what I do outside of this is actually not connected to this part of the relationship. Now, do you see like in your work with, um, maybe with Christian couples, do you see this kind of ideology or this kind of perspective being pretty prominent that, you know, what I do here isn't a big deal and it's, you know, it's, it's not really going to do any damage to, to our relationship. Most people, especially Christians that I work with, they're aware, most husbands are aware that this is something that goes against what they believe, right? It goes against their own values. It goes against what they want for their relationship. It goes against how they feel that God wants things to be for them, Mm -hmm. for him as well. So it definitely is in conflict, which is a part of where people develop an even greater sense of shame. Sure. And so the more unworthy they feel, the more broken they feel, the more it's like truly people are struggling with this. So many people are just like, are so hard on themselves. They hate themselves at certain moments yeah. because what they're doing is out of alignment with who they want to be. And that conflict just, it's tough. I think people yeah. do feel really overwhelmed and then hopeless when they're not able to stop, even though everything inside of them says, we can't be doing this. I don't want to be doing this. They totally. get caught in that web and it's just tough to get out sometimes. For sure. For sure. Now, I think like we would all agree that the the beginning of change is just admitting that there's a problem or a sense of confession coming into the light. Um, now, again, hmm. as a pastor in the times that I've, I've dealt with people or kind of walked with people through some of these things, uh, very rarely do people come into the light with their struggle. They usually end up getting caught. Yeah. Um, and again, speaking very generally, as, as it's, the majority is men who would be in kind of caught up in this behavior. Um, how do you see most men responding when they're caught? Yeah, I, I think most, most, like almost every, I can't say every single, but it, it's the same what you just described. Almost everybody I've worked with, they get caught and then their instant reaction usually is to minimize it and to tell half truths. Right. And to only admit to what they've been caught about, like to only admit wow. to, the, to the extent that they've been caught. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if, if the wife finds, Hey, you've been looking at these videos, he might say like, yeah, you know, I just, like I, I kind of stumbled onto those websites. I did see those things, but that's it. There's nothing else. And she's like, okay. And then she might find more. And then he's like, you know, I, I wasn't honest with you the first time there was a little bit more, this is what it was, right. but there really is nothing left. Right. Sometimes people do that like over and over again, which is what is so destructive to the relationship. I've heard so many women say, I can work with my husband if he's struggling. I can work with slips, but I can't work with dishonesty. Yes. The dishonesty yeah. is the thing that destroys the relationship. It isn't, it's less actually the behavior and more his secrecy and deception around it. Right. Which is, 
like it's tough because that's usually the default reaction is to minimize half truths, put a lid on it. Let's not talk about it. It wasn't that big of a deal because ultimately that comes from a place of fear. Yeah. Which I understand, under, like understandably so, he's afraid, especially if he knows that his wife is going to react very poorly to it. Mm-hmm. And again, rightfully so, if she's not going to be okay with that, then he's going to want to avoid having those conversations and not, not admit to this is all of what's been going on because of how devastated she's going to be. And of course, she's going to be upset and going to be mad and not going to trust him. So they, yeah, so often people try to minimize that just because it is scary coming out, not knowing what the consequences are going to be. Sure. How do you like, what would you recommend to couples? Like if they're, cause like you said, it's not usually just a one time experience that then people confess to bring into the light of their own accord. It's usually like stockpiles of experiences and times where they've, they've cultivated something that usually then they get caught for, but like how do you, or how would you coach a couple right now who like, that's their reality. This thing has just kind of shown up. What's the immediate response to kind of keep the wheels from completely flying off? Like what are some basic principles or, or approach to help there? Yeah. Yeah. It's just so, I, so I'm clear in terms of like the honesty in particular, or just like in a general sense, how like or, if somebody just found out, what do you do? Yeah. Just essentially just somebody just found out. What do you do? Okay. So if somebody just finds out, I think the most helpful thing truly is to reach out and get help Mm. because professional help specifically. The reason is because this doesn't go away on its own because if it would, it would have already like if he's struggling with it so many times, like I can't tell you how many times people like husbands will come to me and say like, I've tried to quit this dozens and dozens of times. I've never been successful. My very best efforts help me kind of get, you know, away from this for a little bit, but then eventually I fall back and then I get discouraged. So it doesn't go away on its own. And so getting that professional help to, to, to be able to resolve the reason why it's happening, I think the couples who get in sooner than later, they tend to do better just because there's less, uh, like less struggle on your own. Because if you don't know what to do, if you don't have a roadmap, if you don't know how to get from A to Z, hey, we just found out to now we're feeling completely whole and connected and safe and in love again. If you don't know how to get there, it does, it does more damage when we keep delaying it. And then there's more things that go wrong in between. So yeah, I think people who are listening, it's, you know, it's getting that help. And if you, if for whatever reason can't afford the help, because I know therapy costs do add up, like if at all possible, I think that's where you start. If you can't, then outside resources, like pod, like what you're, what you're doing, like podcasts, courses, uh, groups, there's like there's so many resources that are available for people, but the sooner somebody gets a hold of those and starts to implement, they're gonna save them like so much time and so much pain that otherwise would you know would be avoided if you got it sooner. Yeah, absolutely. I um, you know, years ago there was there was a book that was written called I don't want to throw shade at it entirely, but there's a book <laughs> written called Every Man's Battle, right? And that kind of yeah. was really prevalent within, uh, within Christian, uh, the Christian circles and stuff. And I'm sure there's, there's great things in that book, some, some helpful things, but, uh, a lot of guys that I talked with, it just kind of ingrained this thought in them that maybe this is always going to be my reality. And it became like this, this tolerating of inter, even not necessarily external lust and acting upon sexual temptation or masturbation or whatever, but like, it just kind of became like this tolerating of internal 
um, lust. Now, how do you help somebody see that this internal tolerate, like tolerating of, you know, maybe just staring, looking longer than you should have, or, you know, like, cause even Jesus says like, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Right. Mm. So there's this avenue of adultery being in the heart, but how do you help a man specifically see that this internal tolerating of, of the lustful desires is actually negatively going to affect their long-term relationship externally. Uh, because I think a lot of guys, again, think that, oh, well, it's just on the inside. I'm not really doing anything. How do you help them to see that? Like, man, you can't, you can't tolerate the inside either. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I, I remember working with a couple where the husband and wife, they'd go out and the wife would watch the husband or catch the husband looking around, scanning the room, looking at other women that were there. And it would just, it would crush her because she felt as he just looked around, it's like, okay, not only is he just not with me right now, not only are we not really spending, like we're, we're here in proximity, but we're not engaged. We're not connecting. Not only is there like a disconnect there, but he's actively looking at other people and not me, which just furthered that sense of hurt that she felt. Right. And so when we started having conversations and when she shared with him her pain and how that impacted her, that like started to help him get clear about like, okay, even though this stuff is happening inside of me, it's affecting deeply my wife because she's feeling like she's not enough and doesn't measure up. And then of course her wall goes up and doesn't want to be close. And it just affects so many different parts of the relationship. Yeah. So I think I just, I share that example because I think those conversations between him and her, and again, I, I like to facilitate those because sometimes they don't know how to have those on their own. But helping her share her pain and him get a glimpse at the effect that his choices, the effect that that's having on her can help change something inside of him. It brings mm-hmm. out a sense of compassion when we see somebody that we love suffering. Right. And so by understanding what he's doing, even though it's internal, even though it's like he's not actively like talking with or trying to develop a relationship with somebody else, even just like your attention going to somebody else again, causes something or someone to come in between him and her, right? Just learning about the effect that that has can be a big part of what creates that compassion and understanding inside of him. Yeah. I think that's one big piece that helps that I've seen help people. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. Like, I think that's something we've, we've been talking a little bit on the podcast and just with even some other, other friends of mine is we need to appeal to the man's kind of God given design to be a protector you know what I mean? A lot of times we're just like, we're training men to be on the defense, like bounce your eyes, snap your purity band, you know, or whatever right. that is. Right. <laughs> and, you know, get your, get your, your filter on your computer or your blocker or whatever. And, and like, I would not, I would never discourage that. Like you got to do what you got to do to keep this from getting into your heart. But I think a lot of times we can miss the compassionate uh, aspect and even, even the sense that we're called to be protectors and, and that's that's probably a more sustainable approach to long-term freedom is that there there are those being damaged by this whether you know them or not and that's not in your that's not in your design to do as a man is to allow suffering to continue i think i i really really like how you put that it's i agree with you i think so many people are on this defense of like i just got i just need to avoid this bad behavior i need to avoid making these choices but the opposite of like the opposite of avoiding, it's, uh, how do I say this? The absence of 
a destructive behavior isn't a positive one. Yes. For instance, like if I just avert my eyes, that's very different than being present with my wife and helping yes. her feel special and helping her feel heard and like I'm interested in her and that I want to have a conversation with her. Those are two totally different sides of the spectrum. So I think so often people think I just need to protect myself against this like temptation when really I like your this idea of like you're the protector of the family, of the relationship yeah. of her. And so one of the best ways to protect her is to be engaged in doing positive things that build her up and create safety instead of just avoiding the things that are going to, you know, interrupt the safety or interrupt the connection between you two. So I really like, yeah, I like how you put that. Yeah. Awesome, man. I, um, you, you know, you kind of gave some starting points, you know, for couples who are just like, this is just kind of coming to the light and how do we handle the response and like, what are the first steps, but what do you say to a couple or specifically a, a wife maybe who um, the one spouse, yeah, it came into the light, their involvement in this, but now um, as time has gone on, you can see that they're not willing to change the, their behavior. Like what, in your experience, how have you kind of coached couples through that? Like yeah. maybe, maybe the, the spouse who was involved has just come to therapy or come to counseling or whatever, just because they're like, okay, well, I just, I don't want to get in like really big trouble for this. So let's just maybe see if we can ride this out for a few weeks and then I'll get this back, get back to normal. But like, what do you say? Like when it's pretty clear that there isn't a desire to, to change their behavior. Yeah. That's again, I think such a good question. I think another case example comes to mind where I remember working with a couple one time we were working for a while. We were working for like a few months. Well, I guess I say a while, I guess longer than that. They'd come in and out, they would do well. And then they come back and they come in and out. And a couple years, this was like two years after we initially met the thing that, and I hadn't seen him in months in between because they left, they were doing okay. But then she, uh, they initiated another session and I said, Hey, well, you know what brings you back in? How are you guys doing? Where are you at with all this stuff? And, uh, she shared with me this story that she could feel that something was off. She could just sense. And I think women's intuition, I think people's intuition in general is like strong. Yeah. We can have a sense that something's off Yeah, because we're just designed like that. We're, 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 you know, we have to intuit when things are and are not okay. And we mm -hmm. all have that ability. So she just had the sense like something isn't right here. I know, like I can just feel he's lying about something because in the past he had been lying and then it comes mm -hmm. out and then he lies and like that whole cycle. So it got to the point for her when she said, okay, listen, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore with you. If you cannot give me honesty, which is like the baseline of an expectation. If you can't even give me that, given all the time that we spent together, given the fact that we've been trying to do this for so long, if you can't be honest with me, I cannot be in a relationship with any, with you anymore. I'm going to file for a divorce. Wow. And so he's like, okay. He's like, okay, give me like a couple of days. I want to decide as well. Two or three days go by. And he's like, he goes back to her and says, listen, I don't want to lose my marriage with you. You're so important to me. And you're right. There has been something that I've been keeping from you that I haven't been sharing. And he shared with her. I don't even remember what it was. Like it wasn't even that big of a deal. Uh, as she heard it, it wasn't even a big thing for her. Right. But it was just a secret. Yeah. It was the secret, right? It yeah. was, that's exactly what it was. It was the secret that he was withholding, which she could feel because in order to keep a secret, you have to compartmentalize. Yeah, wow. And if you're compartmentalized, she's going to know that you're not present fully. You're not engaged fully. There's a part of you that you're holding back. Mm 
And if that's the case, that's again, a signal, like something's just like not right here. And so it, again, I share that example because it wasn't until she said, if this doesn't change, I can't do this anymore. It wasn't until that moment that he like had nowhere else to go. He couldn't like push it off. Yeah. He couldn't say like, oh, I'm working on it. It was like, are you in or are you not? Yeah. And just by uh, setting this boundary of, I have to be in a relationship where there's honesty. Would you like to join me in that? I'm inviting you into our marriage with honesty. Can you, can you do that? Like These are the terms, for lack of a better phrase. And he decided, he's like, okay, like I want to align with that. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I, yeah, there has been something off. So all of that is to say, when a wife, there, she has a lot of influence in this. I know sometimes she feels very powerless and out of control because of course she can't make him stop. Right. She doesn't have control over his behavior, but she has a tremendous amount of influence in those instances in particular to say, if this continues, then this is how I'll have to respond. And it doesn't have to be like, if you, you know, lie to me again, then I'm divorcing you. It doesn't have to be so like their situation is a little bit different in that they've been working for such a long time. There's other variables there, but the, the principle is you set this boundary of this is the kind of relationship that I want to have. I want to have a relationship where there's honesty, where there's trust, where there's accountability and where you're working on it. And if there are slips, and you take accountability for it and you come and talk to me about it and you share with me what happened and why it happened and what you're going to do differently next time. There are so many women are like, I can work with that. That's okay. No, I don't love it that there are slips happening, but like, I'm, I, I can understand that. And I see that you're working on it and your heart is there. So when a husband is in a place where his heart isn't there, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do the work. He is very resistant. There's a lot of reluctance there. And again, there's even reasons for that. Usually it's like rooted in fear, Mm. but like if she has continually said, please, like, let's do something about this. Please watch this video with me. Please let's go meet with this counselor. And he says, no, no, no to everything. It comes to a point where change again, won't happen on its own. So the wife has a tremendous amount of influence to say, in order for me to continue to give myself to you emotionally or physically, or be in the same space as you, or stay married to you. Right? There's different degrees of what a spouse, like what a wife can do. It's like the, the ultimate is like, I can't stay in this relationship anymore. Yeah. But it doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to jump to that. It can be like, I can't open up to you anymore. Like I can't be emotionally vulnerable with you if you're not willing to work on this. Yeah. Or if I don't feel safe, I can't be intimate with you because I just put myself in a position where I just get hurt afterwards. Yeah. Because then we, you know, we have sex and then you ignore me and then you tell me I'm not important and what I need doesn't matter. So for her to take this stance of, I want to have a better relationship and I can't do this by myself. And so in order for me to engage with you on any of those levels, then I need X, Y, Z thing. And I think the more that a wife can tie that to a behavior, less the outcome, like if she says, if you slip again, I'm divorcing you. That's not super effective because if he's slipping, it's because he's lacking tools. He doesn't know how to do it. He keeps struggling. He's caught in this web. So you can put a boundary around like the the steps, like the process. If you're not willing to go to therapy and get help, then X, Y, Z is my response. I can't, I can't be open. I can't be, you know, put myself out there with you. So I think there, there's so much power in being able to say, I can't do this anymore. This is what I require. If you want to be with me, this is what it needs to look like. And then that like 
there's this like, it, there is no middle ground in that. It's like, will mm-hmm. I engage or will I not? And if mm-hmm. I don't, then the wife will start to respond differently. And yeah. she might say, okay, well, I can't open up to you anymore. And then time might go by and she's hurting because she wants to open up. And then she might say, listen, I can't, like, I can't be intimate then. And she eventually will get to the point where it's like, this is not tolerable. I can't yeah. stay in this relationship because nothing's happening. I'm hurting and there's no sign of change. And again, like that boundary is like, I cannot underscore how much I've seen that help people move forward or right. not. Yeah. But at least they're clear, right? At least they get an answer. Yeah. If the totally. wife says, I need this. And he says, no, then you have your feedback to make the decision. Do you want to stay in the situation as it is? Or is it like, I can't do this anymore? So it's kind of a long way of describing that, but I think that idea of a boundary helps. It's polarizing in a good way because it will cause, mo- it'll cause movement in one direction or the other so that then you can decide, how do I, how do I respond to that? Right. Oh, man, that was so good. I think there's so much to, to, to unpack there for sure, but I think that's a great, a great perspective on that. Now, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit and because we've been kind of talking about this from, from like a couple's perspective. And I wanted to kind of give some keys here just in the latter part of our of our conversation here, just to really help church leaders, um, you know, approach these issues with couples, porn use in in marriages and relationships and kind of how, how to be effective in their leadership and in their maybe pastoral counseling. So what are some of the basic steps that you would recommend uh, pastors and leaders take when they're counseling a couple, you know, who's trying to navigate, um, you know, porn intruding into their, their relationship? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's a great question. Cause I think so many pastors and clergy, they're in a position where people trust them, Yeah, which is great because we need to have people in our corner. And so for somebody to go to the pastor and say, listen, this is our struggle or we're struggling. I'm struggling with this. It's like affecting our marriage. This is where we are. I think for the pastor to have that position of influence where ultimately I think the role, because I think sometimes pastors feel a lot of pressure, like they have to solve this. Like they need to have all the answers. They need to know what to do when the pastors that I know have zero training because there's no handbook, right? It's not like, okay, when you become a pastor, you're now like a financial advisor and a spiritual advisor and a relationship advisor. And like, how do you help the kids? Like there's, there's so many things that I think the congregation looks towards their pastor for that they, they, in many cases, don't have that training. My last pastor was like an air conditioning guy. Right. So he had like, he had zero, he would like, he would consult with me because I was like uh, working and serving with him. He consulted with me and say like, Hey, uh, what would you do in this kind of a situation? Like he, he just had no idea. Yeah. And that's not his responsibility to now know everything because it doesn't come with a handbook. So I think the best role that somebody can play in that position is truly to just like to love and support and root for the couple and root for the person who's struggling and help give them resources, provide a listening ear and to be able to, again, like I talked about earlier, education is one of the most important things in the beginning. So for them to link them up with the resources, or if nothing else, again, help them untangle themselves from shame. Because sometimes, you know, not even sometimes, most of the time, husbands will come in and they'll feel like a bad person. I'm struggling with this. I'm unworthy. God hates me. Judgment awaits me. There's a ton of fear, right? So I think a pastor who can provide that sounding board, can provide that love and understanding and support, right. walk with them, 
there is so much good that that does. I think people maybe misunder uh, underestimate how much it means to have somebody to be there non-judgmentally, judgmentally listening and understanding and supporting and just helping them, like encourage them. Because again, it's like, well, uh, some somebody might think like, well, what does that do? Like, we're not doing any tools. There's no tactics in that. Like, that's such a big deal to feel like I have totally. somebody I can open up to who's not judging me, who can accept me despite what I'm struggling with. There's a sense of like, ah, man, like a sense of connection in that, that helps carry people through the very, very difficult times that they're often going through. But I think in that way, that's one of the best, you know, roles that somebody can take on in that position is to just love and support and help and listen like that. Sure. Sure. So now on the flip side, what are the the definite uh, things to avoid, completely avoid as a pastor or leader when it comes to, um, yeah, navigating uh, this kind of, this kind of thing within relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen some very well-meaning, well-intended pastors and leaders say and do things that unintentionally do cause a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of pain for people. So specifically, I remember hearing a, a woman, a client of mine, before we started working together, she was working with her, her pastor, her leader, and she got the feedback that, okay, if husband is struggling, he's turning somewhere else, that she then just needs to be more sexual with him and be more intimate and increase the frequency. Because in his mind, it was like, it was clear, oh, he's turning away because he's not getting enough at home. So like, why don't you, you know, meet him halfway? Right. right. So like, without understanding that that's not the reason why he's turning away without understanding these underlying issues about addiction or about how these habits form and what's driving them unintentionally. A lot of harm can be done if, if the wife is encouraged to do things that she's not comfortable with. Yeah. And so I think giving advice about things that you might not have training on with this particular issue, that's where I think people can be super well intended. It's like, oh, like, let me help you. Like, if you were to just do this, if you would just like approach it like this, wife, then this would get better without having worked with that and gone through it and, and like, again, have been trained in it. Well, intend, well intended advice can unintentionally hurt. So, giving advice about sex or timelines of when things should be, you know, when she should like, quote unquote, be over this or like relationship coaching without understanding all the dynamics that go with that. So I think that's, you know, th those are some like off the top of my head, important ones yeah. to, you know, help pastors understand that like their words, they're, they have, they're in a position of influence. Totally. The more they can channel that towards the love and the support and like guiding them on a spiritual level, linking them back to the love of the gospel, like to be able to love that's available through God, through the gospel, the spirit, like helping them on that aspect of it while linking them with resources, I think that's, that's a really good direction for people to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would think too, like, cause obviously within, you know, healthy, at least I'll say this healthy, you know, Christian churches, you know, there should be a value of forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm. And, you know, this, this should, this, cause this is the heart of the gospel is like, God yep. has forgiven us and he's, yep. he's reconciled us to him. He's brought us back to him. And, and so like, those should be our values, but where have you seen, maybe an overemphasis of that um, lead into these beautiful realities becoming actually damaging in relationships where it can be like, yeah. you should just kind of just get over it. You know what I mean? Just move mm -hmm. on. And you know, like where, where have you seen that happen? Yeah, that happens a lot. I think unintentionally people get the message that they like, if the husband's doing good work, 
and he's making progress. And there's been a period of time where he's been okay. Sometimes the wife does get the message. All right, well, you need to get over this. And whether that comes from like some spiritual beliefs, whether, whether that comes from her, her husband and says like, listen, I've been fine. Like, why are we still talking about this? Why do you, why do you keep bringing this up? I haven't struggled with this in a long time. Like you're, you're the one who needs to get over this. And just for, cause of course the husband wants forgiveness because he wants to be able to move forward and have a better relationship with her. And I think sometimes that word conjures up different ideas. It means different things to different people. Right. Right. Sometimes why, like I had a client, like not, not two weeks ago, she told me how hard it was for her to imagine forgiving. And so I, I said, well, when you think of forgiveness, what does that look like for you? And she said, well, I, you know, when I think of forgiving him, what that means to me is that I'm okay with what happened. And that I'm like basically giving him a pass to, uh, like I'm giving him a pass despite all the damage this caused. So I can't mm-hmm. forgive him because in her mind, forgiveness was equated with he gets a pass. Yeah. Right. And so I think getting some under, like getting some clarity about what that actually means uh, for each person is important because then you can start to redefine that. I, I think one of the ways that can help for, for people who might be listening, when I think of forgiveness, I think of like forgiveness isn't reconciliation. Forgiveness isn't he gets a pass and it's not a big deal and he's off the hook. On, on like the most basic level, I think forgiveness is like a release of anger. Mm. It's releasing the anger that you have for somebody else, not saying what they did was okay. Yeah. But for you to not, and again, I know this is easier said than done. Yeah. But for you to not have to carry around like anger and resentment and rage and like the grudge, because that doesn't help her. Right. That hurts her to carry that around. It's like spiritually, physically, like when we carry anger, there are physical consequences to that. Yeah. Our stress level, like it's like when we're angry, we're in fight, you know, fight or flight kind of a mode, stress, cortisol, like cortisol is released in the body, which affects our digestive system. It affects our heart rate. It like there's so many negative consequences to stress. And so if somebody is constantly living in that state of anger and resentment and hatred and stress and pain, it's like, when I think of forgiveness, it's releasing the anger Mm. and you're not giving them a pass because broken trust still needs to be repaired. Even if she's not mad anymore, Yeah, she still needs to see him change. She still needs to feel safe in that relationship. She still needs him to do the work. So it isn't a matter of just like brushing past it. But being in a centered place where she can say, like, I'm centered, I'm on my track here. And yes, I do require that this relationship looks differently because I I need to have trust and all these other things. So I think, yeah, having that understanding that it isn't like he's off the hook, but for her to feel centered and then still require the work be done, there's room for both of those things. Right. Because I think a lot of times we can think that forgiveness or even maybe more specifically that reconciliation doesn't come without, doesn't come or comes without any sort of accountability. Right. You know what I mean? And I even think what came to mind just as you were talking there was Jesus interacting with the woman who's caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. And he asks, asks her like, Hey, where are your accusers? And he said, well, they're all gone. Cause you know, after Jesus talking to them, they all kind of decided they weren't going to stone her anymore. Uh, (laughs) He kind of nailed them to the wall with their own hypocrisy. But Um, you know, and then he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Right. So here's this forgiveness. Like, I'm not going to condemn you, you know, but then he says, now go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. 
Sure. Right? So he's laying down some clear accountability that in order to, to continue in reconciliation, you can't just keep living this way. Don't keep walking down this road. Now, I'm willing to forgive you. And, you know, God's so gracious and patient as we're humble before him. He extends grace. But like there, ha- there the, the, I think this is so important to marry this reality that accountability and reconciliation cannot be separated. Yep. I'm 100 percent. I think that's exactly what it is. So I think sometimes people can confuse those two things forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, it's like, oh, I should get past this and just like blindly trust him again. There are steps that need to be in place so you can feel centered while that work is happening. Yeah. Well, Sam, this has been a great conversation, man. I think you're just such a wealth of of wisdom and perspective on this has been so helpful. Um, Now you have a website, coupleshealing.org. Tell us about what people would find uh, on that website. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. This is like such an issue. I think that people struggle with. So I I appreciate that you're a part of these resources where people can turn to and get the help that they need. And so, yeah, there's just some extra resources on the website where people can find, I have a podcast specifically for couples and individuals who are struggling with this. And I like to get really uh, in the weeds with like tools and tactics and strategies and exactly what to do and how to do it. So I, I love talking about that stuff. Kind of like what we've covered today is like, what, you know, what do we do in these situations? So there's my podcast is on the website. And then I also have a free course for couples to go through to start to better understand how you can navigate through these challenges and what to do in the beginning stages or wherever you are in the process. So there's a course that if people are interested, they can get some uh, guidance at that, in that as well. But there are all the resources there on the website. Awesome. And if they, if they wanted to reach out to you directly, how could they kind of stay in touch with you? Yeah. 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 So that, that's also on the website too. Yep. They can reach out. There's my email or um, be able to get some uh, to be able to contact me there. That's all. That's all. Perfect. I love it, man. We'll make sure that all that is in the, the show notes for, for, for people to check out and, and uh, yeah, again, we just hope and pray that this conversation has been helpful. Uh, if you're struggling, if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're seeing your relationship, um, you know, negatively affected uh, by pornography, by this, you know, by this, uh, the realities of this uh, in your relationship, I just want to encourage you today. Things can change. God can come in and work a miracle, change people's hearts. If we're willing to do the work, God's willing to get in the ditch with us and work it out. So Sam, thanks again. Thank you so much for your time and and just being uh, so willing just to share so freely uh, your wisdom and perspective on this. You're welcome. Thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the time that you've given me as well. So hopefully this does help people. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.